And welcome to the Untold, Untold Hour. Hour. That's the title we chose. Live That's, with it. Live with it. That's all I got. <laughs> um, I don't even really know how to do this anymore. I'm very like I'm... much out of practice. Yeah, me too. So let's jump right in. Yeah, that's a good way to welcome people to the new podcast. welcome. This is our new podcast. Uh, This is the Untold Hour. As uh, you have known, if you follow us on any of our social media, it has been a lot of trials and tribulations to finally get here. But here we are. Here we are. And we're ready to bring you more weird, fucked up shit. Yeah. And, you know, I'm proud of us for, it has been some time, but I'm proud of us for getting back on the horse as soon as we have. I feel like there's been things that have gone away and people have been waited, you know, years for them to get their shit back together. We got our shit together relatively quickly. Yeah, especially because both of us were busy, which actually is a perfect intro into the first segment, mm. which is what has been going on with us? Yeah. So, Bowser, why don't you kick it off? What have you been up to? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have been uh, working on a short film called Little Willie. And I have been writing the feature of that. And I tried to make that my focus for the last, gosh, seven, eight months. And uh, it takes a lot to write a feature script, you know. You kind of have to go all in. So I've been all in on Willie for a while. And uh, and I finally... <laughs> sounds weird. I know. I did it to myself by titling a film Little Willie. Yeah, but it also... I like it. Yeah. Like, it's a it's a... Eye catcher, ear grabber. It's an ear, yeah. Ear grabber. It's an earworm. Earworm. My little Willie is an earworm. I don't want your little Willie <laughs> as an earworm. Yeah. No, no. But it is though. It catches, yeah. Yeah, and it is a double entendre. You know, the movie has to do with someone that feels emasculated, and uh, it has a little bit to do with privilege and toxic masculinity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. But um, so I've been doing that in freelance directing and producing. And uh, waiting to, yeah, get back in the saddle with spooky shit slash slash the untold hour. The untold hour slash at one point almost the, what was it? Well, God, we had so many. We cycled through so many possible name changes. Yeah, and the the problem we kept on running into is that um, they were all taken. Everything exists. At one point in time, it was a book or a podcast or a TV show. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody even was using spooky shit and then stopped using it. And then we announced we were coming back with spooky shit. And then all of a sudden it was available. Yeah. And they were coming back in the next couple of months. So who knows? Timing just could have been off. But um, yeah, I kind of like the untold hour. It's it's completely too. fresh, which is what I sort of want this podcast to be. And it kind of feels like you're getting invited in to a dark room. You're going to sit by the fire. Who knows what's going to be. Mm-hmm. Talked about the untold hour. Yeah, because you know? it still kind of covers the gamut of, yeah, we've got our spooky stuff. Yeah, we've got our murders, but we also have weird science. We also yeah. have like odd little pop culture things that make its way across. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it covers everything. <clears throat> and what have you been up to? I thought you would never ask. <laughs> um. So I have been traveling the world, basically, for most of last year. Or the last half of last year, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. 
doing a show that is currently running, by the time you hear this, on Discovery Channel called Expedition X, which is a spinoff of Josh Gates's show, who was a guest on Bizarre States a while back, called Expedition Unknown. So Expedition Unknown is more of the Indiana Jones-esque find these lost artifacts, kind of dispel these local folklore myths and see what's there. Um, whereas Expedition X is more paranormal-based. And so it is myself and my co-host, this gentleman named Phil Torres, who's a entom- entomologist. Is that the study of bugs? I always forget. I don't know because one is the study of words, right? And one is the study of bugs. I think the bugs one is entomology. I can look it up. Yeah, look it up while I'm talking. And um, and uh, he's, oh, it is entomology. Oh, cool. So also, just as a side note, because we didn't tell you this yet, uh, um, Aristotle is with us. So we've got the oh whole my gosh, crew yeah. back together. And he's popping us. Reunited. Popping up notes for us on this um display and he said yes it's entomology so yeah. yes we're all reunited for a brand new podcast yep called the untold hour yes um so anyway uh it's myself phil torres who's a scientist he studies um bugs entomology and uh he is definitely the skeptic and i am definitely the full-on believer in the sure. show and we kind of went all over the world studying everything from um cryptids to hauntings to um, folklore to, you know, you name it, we, we hit on it. Yeah. So, um, that's been very, very cool. And that took up a ton of time. And then on the flip side of that, I personally have started my own YouTube channel. And it is called simply It is Chobot. simply called Chobot. Yep. Uh, if you want, you can expand on that and call it the Chobot channel. Mm-hmm. If you like alliteration, it um, really currently, because I'm brand new to creating my own on, like on internet, internet on whatever content. Yeah, content. Content. Um, Everything's just content. Yeah. it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's pretty much anything and everything that I just like. Right. So that kind of covers the gamut of video games, pop culture stuff, per normal, which is what most people know of me. To I'm hoping to put our podcast up there at some point, or at least clips of our podcast, um, you know, because of the paranormal thing and, you know, do something like that, um, to makeup, to hair, like, you know. Uh, Just whatever whatever. is in your purview. It's whatever's in my purview. Everybody's got a ton of different interests, and not all of them get a little bit of a chance to shine because everybody's interested in their quote-unquote brand, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, that's probably the better way to do things, but I'm kind of just, you know, throwing it all at the wall and seeing what sticks. It has been interesting uh, for me, and I'm sure you've been going through something similar, just, uh, you know, the job I was at, prior to this i was there for six years and there was months and months after not being at that job where i had to kind of recalibrate oh yeah what am i interested in Mm. because my schedule was dictated by the work and most of my job involved things i was interested in obviously getting to do things like bizarre states um and making videos but yeah it's weird i was kind of just uh not not spiraling because that's too negative of a term, but just kind of floating for a bit and thinking again, oh, well, what if I made a video that no one told me to make? What would that be? What if I wrote a script that nobody was paying me to write? What would that be? 
And it took me some time to kind of click into that. But then it felt nice when I did and started working on projects that I was pursuing solely because I had an interest in it. Yeah. Which I know is a privilege, but it was also just new for me because for years I'd only been making what the job required me to make. It wasn't that hard for me this time around because I've gone through something very similar multiple right. times previous. You know, I was over at IGN for about five years and left that. Went to G4, was there for about two or three years, and then that kind of imploded. Then went over to Nerdist and was there for five years. There's been ton of freelance work for TV and whatnot that I've done where it gets to the finish line and then falls apart. So I'm used to disappointment. You're used to the like cycle of I'm used to that entertainment the lifespan like, of a job being. Yeah, yeah. I, that's part of the that's part of the, I guess. Once you learn to live with it and once you learn that it's like not to take it personally, I, for lack of a better phrase, um, it just it's part of the job. It's part of the industry out here. And I've gotten really, really fine with that. Plus, this time, too, I immediately left Nerdist to go into Expedition X. So I had the focus there. And then that was pretty much Expedition X being a paranormal show was pretty much the one thing that was out there in Hollywood that I hadn't done that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so by getting and we touched upon it a little bit when we had our Bizarre States on location show. But um, I wanted to do it for like actual television. And now that I've kind of crossed that off the bucket list, I was in a place where I feel like I've done everything I've really wanted to do coming out to L.A. and trying to, you know, have an entertainment hosting career. So at this point, anything on top of that is just icing on the cake, which right. is why I started doing my YouTube channel, because I was like, OK, well, I've done everything I've wanted to do from a formal standpoint. Let's just have fun with it now and stuff that comes in great and stuff that doesn't work out fine. And so that's actually put me in a pretty nice mental state. Yeah, I will say the one thing that was was kind of tough is once um, shooting for the uh, Discovery Channel wrapped, and then I didn't have Nerdist, and I didn't have the Discovery Channel. The habit of getting up and having a routine, that was tough right. to shake for about a week. Well, that's what I'm talking about is the routine. The routine I, was Disappointment is, is more familiar to me than my own name. <laughs> I live in it, uh, and I breathe it. It was the routine, though. It yeah. was that uh, that I could rely on a structure to give me kind of form for the day and then I didn't have that so I'd make I give myself assignments you know yeah. I'd, I'd say well this week I'm making a short film on my cell phone and it can only involve me my cats and maybe one friend as another actor and then I would make that and I would edit it and I'd put it online just to have gone through the production cycle because mm -hmm. I'm so used to at Nerdist making something every week or every other week so i had these like phantom limbs and I've, i wanted people to like send me stuff to give notes on you know it's like <laughs> anybody need notes on stuff because i'm just so used to that yeah producerial limb just then being gone I think that was the hard thing yeah that the routine just being gone yeah no i think doing little assignments for yourself just to get you over the hump is yeah. really smart. I mean, yeah. you can't, you know, you have to or else you'll go crazy. Um, so that's been a really, what did you want to I wanted to ask you something down about the crazy? show. Oh, okay. Double down on crazy. We should just <laughs> call the podcast that. No, I wanted to ask you about the show, but I don't know how much you can talk about it yet. But is there anything about the first episode that you know uh, that's an anecdote you can share? Because I know a little bit about what you went through and it seemed like there was a lot of 
exciting things, frightening things, oh, there was challenging ten- things it for was, you? I guess overall, the one thing that I wasn't expecting to be as difficult as it was, but that I managed to pull off and I'm really proud of myself, especially considering my personal way of life and how I handle health, <laughs> is that I went to some extreme locations. Mm-hmm. And, I'm t- and I'm talking like 20 mi- or twenty hours into the Amazon rainforest with no one else around, you know? Right. Or we were in Cambodia at one point, just in Cambodia, in the, <laughs> in the, in the jungle, you know? So... Um, um, we were in caves. We I was ended up in a, hel- a couple helicopters, which was fucking terrifying. You know, like all the things that I hate in life, as regards to putting my physical self in that position, definitely occurred on this show. Yeah, I hate heights. I don't like to exercise. I hate bugs. So mosquitoes were a constant issue. Like. I don't like being really like if I'm going to be dirty, I like to be dirty in my dirtiness, not because I'm actually dirty, because where I'm at is, you know, like the middle of the forest and I'm covered in mud. So all of those things were a real struggle for me going from sitting on my couch playing video games in Los Angeles to trekking through the mountains for a week with no other people but the crew and um, tarantulas, you know? Now, let me ask you this. Was there ever a time... So there was physical craziness. So physical craziness. Was there ever a time where you felt any supernatural craziness where you were like, we got to get out of here? There was. I mean, each episode definitely had something happen. I swear to God that th- I saw a UFO. Wow. Strictly as an unidentified flying object. I can't tell you if it was alien or not. Sure. My guess is, is I, I don't know. My Can you guess tell was me no. where you were in the world? Um, It was Washington State. Okay. And uh, I got to meet one of my idols. Uh, one of the hosts from Coast to Coast was on the show or met with us. And then uh, we were in Washington State. Um, over by these mountains where a particular peak seems to get a lot of UFO activity. And we were trying to figure it out, and everybody had their theory. And um, as we were, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I can talk about this because it didn't make the cut because we weren't rolling. But as we were, you know, walking back, we saw a few things on this mountain peak that we were like, oh, that is weird. And we were walking back. And it was nighttime, like super dark. We were out in the middle of nowhere, so there were no like additional lights anywhere. And I knew where the crew was. They were all behind me because they were. we were walking back from a scene. So none of them were still out there. So I don't think it was them messing with something. And I turned around just randomly to look back, you know, just because. And right at the moment I turned around, this incredibly bright light very which seemed very close to me like you could tell what was i'm talking when we were looking at the mountain it was far into the distance this was like maybe a couple yards away from me a really bright ball of light just kind of floated across the the field we were walking through and disappeared wow i mean and i'm talking like did anyone else see significant. it significant nobody else saw it and, of course, it happened, like, I think we caught a few of the ones on the mountain on camera, but um, nobody saw this one because we had wrapped. And I was so furious because I was like, oh, my God, there it is. You know, like, that's the thing. That's the thing we're going to try and, and catch. And, you know, whatever it is, who knows? But 
It was unidentified. Wow. I didn't know what it was. We were the only ones out there. It was super close to us. I mean, and it looked artificial. Like, and, what do you mean? Well, it looked like an like a bright LED, like somebody was shining a bright LED yeah. flashlight in your face and just running across the field. But it was super smooth. There was no sound. It wasn't a drone. It wasn't somebody's flashlight because everybody was behind me. It was, yeah, I, or I mean, like, when I say behind me, like, I turned around to look behind me, but they were all, like, yeah, like, I knew where everybody was, and they weren't there. And, um, and yeah, I can't explain that. I had a couple of weird, like, emotional incidences, incidents, incidences. Sure. Like, you know me. I'm not the most cryable person. But there emotional. were times where you got a little shook. There was one time I got hit hard. So hard, lost my shit completely, like sobbing, lost what my from? shit. Um, well, I don't want to give too much of it away because I don't know if it will have aired at this point. But there was a place, <laughs> this is really going to be very generic, but there was a place I was at, which was supposedly haunted. And th- we walked into the hot spot area and it felt like I got hit by a wave of sadness. Like, Interesting. Like, but in a direction. It felt like I actually like felt it from like g- kind of rushing through me from the left to the right side of my body. And I just started sobbing. Wow. To the point where I was embarrassed because it was pretty much the first thing we shot. Oh, so, wow. And were, were you rolling at that point? We so were did they ro- get so that? So we were rolling and they got part of it. But then the minute that it happened and I lost my shit, one of our cameras died. Oh, wow. And these are cameras that are made... To and our audio, I think, clocked out too a little bit. Yeah. And these are cameras that are made to for these kind of travel shows. Like these are hardcore cameras. Yeah, and you're either, rolling for hours. We're and hours. rolling for hours. They're made for the outdoors. They're that this is what these cameras do. They're workhorses. Yeah. And out of nowhere, it completely tanked. Interesting. So we did get a little bit of footage, but we didn't get all of it. We got, I think, if I remember correctly, we got right when I start kind of losing it and a little bit afterwards, but the audio is a little skewy too because obviously it wasn't like they were getting it from like a third. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I'm not crew, but they, you know, it just sounded weird. You can hear it, but it sounds weird. But yeah, out of nowhere, I just kind of lost my mind. Wow. So we had situations like that. We had weird stuff happen almost everywhere. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you got me uh, interested. Yeah, yeah. I'll be watching the show. Yeah, it's once we're on a regular, once we're on a regular thing, um, and yeah. we know what's aired, I will be able to go much more into detail. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, so I got a question to ask you. Okay. Let's get into the real uh, meat and potatoes of our podcast. Okay. What has been going on in your backyard? You know, <laughs> that's... Uh, I'm happy to keep that segment. Yeah. That that can be a holdover from Bizarre States. Well, the backyard, I have become even more of a steward of since being home and just working freelance. And the latest, uh, I mean... The latest, I guess, uh, occurrence that's been ongoing is uh, possums and my cat Puck getting into, like, possum brawls. Like, knockdown, drag-out fights with these possums. And uh, we started, this is weird, but one night I thought I'd brought him in. Puck comes and goes. He's an indoor-outdoor cat. 
I'd brought him in. I never feed him and let him back out. Once he's fed for the night, he's got to stay in. Because mm-hmm. if he's fed, he's got a belly full of food, he's going to stay out till four in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I brought him in. I fed him. And uh, and I closed all the doors. But what I'd forgotten was I'd left the window in the kitchen open because I'd burned a steak that night and was airing out my kitchen. So in about an hour, after bringing him in and feeding him, thinking he was locked in for the night, I hear this insane fight across the street. The house across the street is empty. It's been empty for like a year. They haven't sold it. Mm -hmm. And he loves going to that house because they have this really nice garden it almost has like a little there's probably some maze. rats over there too there's rats there's raccoons there's mm-hmm. another cat that frequents that backyard because it's like a, it's a no man's land there's no mm-hmm. humans it's like run by the animals at this point puck i i call it like his nightclub because he goes out and he goes over to that yard and there's just a <laughs> yeah. fucking party of <laughs> random animals so i hear this insane possum fight and i i open the door And I look across the street and the trees are shaking, like all of the trees in that yard and the bush. It's like a cartoon when animals are like jumping from one area to another and the fight is like, you know, and there's smoke. And and I'm thinking, well, it can't be Puck because he's in for the night. And I close the door, but then I continue to hear this crazy possum fight. And then finally I realize, oh, my God, the kitchen window's open. He must have gone through the kitchen. And I open the door and I start yelling, Puck, Puck. And sure enough, he like jumps out of one of those trees oh my God. and then runs across the street and comes in the front door. But he was up in those trees, wrestling possums. Um, and then the possums show up in the backyard and Daffy screams at them, but she doesn't get physically involved. But what it started us doing, just because we thought it was fun, is we like let him come and go through the windows now which we'd never done. And oh, now he is stoked. He loves it. He thinks it's the funnest thing in the world. I'll be sitting in my office writing with the window open and out of nowhere, just big, he just pops <laughs> up. And uh, yeah, uh, so mostly it's been these possum fights and me just kind of, uh, yeah, staying in touch with uh, the next door neighbor cat, Dora, who Puck has a crush on oh how sweet and i watch her again i'm home all the time so i watch her she gets into fights with the neighbor dog and just like loves it like i'll watch the other day i watched dora her name's not dora but we call her that because she's the explorer of the neighborhood but there's this dog and dora like will walk up to it again it's like a cartoon and like hit it on the butt and then run away Mm -hmm. and then the dog i just see them disappear behind things and come back and they're chasing each other for like 10 15 minutes and it's just this game they play it's like rear window but just with With animals animals and and an unemployed sad man Um, (laughs) well that is like rear window it is like rear window i had a story (laughs) i had a story that i wanted to share i can share it quickly before we get into the the meat and potatoes. The beefy well, bits. Well, no, you were the be- you were the meat and potatoes. Oh, I'm the yeah, meat and we'll, potatoes. We'll, we'll shift into the beefy bits, and maybe that's the segment. I was going to call it what you may have missed, but maybe we'll just call it beefy, beefy bits. bits. Hey, all, Jess here. Well, in typical Untold Hour podcast fashion, yet another roadblock that we are hitting at full speed. Bowser and I pre-recorded these way before the COVID nineteen outbreak occurred, so please take this next story with a grain of salt. Appreciate the humor it contains and continue to wash your hands. Thank you. Well, I had a story that I felt like was maybe a spiritual cousin to a story that I know grossed you out and made you laugh, 
when I had uh, snotted on my Vespa. Oh, yeah, and, I love that story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then ate <laughs> yeah, I love it, that story. <laughs> ate, Ate the snot because I oh god I couldn't yeah yeah that's fucking nasty. I had a little bit of a sequel to that story. Oh god, yeah, tell me that I wanted to share. Um, for anyone that doesn't remember that story, basically I was on my Vespa driving to work and I sneezed in the helmet and it all started to drip down <laughs> and I had no way to stop and wipe my nose because I was on the highway. So I just like Ugh. slowly sucked all of the snot <laughs> into my god mouth. Damn it! And ate it <laughs> so anyway this oh, actually i really legit am dry of course a bit. of course it's a i'm a disgusting my, person i see oh god i almost threw up i see my kid do that all the time and i'm like you're so fucking gross oh my god and i'm not the kind of person that like i don't like eat my boogers you know uh i think that's worse is that it's oh god that it's wet i know I'd love it if you threw like, up in the really, first episode. My eyes are watering. Yeah. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's gross for me to even retell it. Yeah. Okay. Sequel. But so here's what happened. Shit. I was getting a massage the other week. Oh, and oftentimes, and I think this is a common occurrence, when you're getting a massage, a lot of your like nasal shit gets kind of knocked loose. Do you well, find yeah. that? Yeah, you like they're massaging. I mean, I'm assuming they're also mas- massaging your face, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, towards so, the end, I get you know, a little face. all of that. You know, they're kind of. But I usually get separating everything congested, and then it all gets kind of loosened up by the end of the massage. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on my front, okay, and okay. my face is pushed through the little massage hole. Hole, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Sure, it is, and I sneeze. Oh, okay, God. but. I don't like making a big deal. Does it get on their feet? Well, oh, God. Oh, God. So I sneeze. Uh-huh. And I did a little dummy check. I went like, and I didn't feel anything dripping from my nose. Uh-huh. And I didn't want to make a big deal and sit up in the middle of the massage and say, hey, sorry, I just sneezed. Can I get a tissue? And then what? And then I burned through minutes of my massage time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't say anything. Uh, I, the massage is another like 20 minutes, I think, left. And I, I, I'm in my head about it. You know, did I sneeze? Is there snot? Is there snot dripping? Well, no, you'd feel it if it was dripping. Well, go like that. And it doesn't feel like there's snot. Well, what if there's a big string of snot dripping all the way to the floor? Oh, my God, there's not a string of snot, Bowser. Yada, yada, yada. I'm in my head. I'm in my head. At the end of the massage, I remember this massage therapist, she puts like lavender in her hands and then she wipes, she, she moves her hands in front of my face, oh, like yeah. under the massage hole. Okay. So oh she does that uh-huh. and I open my eyes and as I see her and I don't have my contacts in so I'm blind as a bat but I see her hands uh, through the massage hole and then I see like a glistening white string of something. Oh God. And I'm like what the fuck is that? I almost forgot about the sneeze at that point. And then I realized, dude, there's a string of snot going from my nose to the ground because it's been dripping ever since that sneeze. sneeze. Yeah. So 20 minutes of just like snot (laughs) reaching towards the ground and her hands probably touched it when she moved the lavender in front of my nose. She probably reached underneath the massage table and did that and then felt like something wet on her fingers. Then I'm freaking out about that. How disgusting is that? She thinks I'm some freak that just slobbers and snots in a massage and doesn't give a fuck. But you are, though. But I am. (laughs) But I tell you, what I'm not is somebody that wouldn't then 
apologize for that and bring it up. So did you bring it up? Yes. Oh, God. Which I've told this story a number of times. You shouldn't have brought it up. See, this is what blows my mind. Whenever I tell this story, people are grossed out by the snot of it all, but they're all horrified at the fact that I brought it up to her. Mm-hmm. How would you not bring it up? I can't even Because wrap you might my still mind. be able to escape, and now you get you painted yourself into a corner. Of course, but it's so funny to me that people are more shocked about that. So I get dressed, oh, God. and it, I mean, I'm convinced I'm going to talk to her about it. There's no way I'm not. I oh. can't be the guy that just snots on the massage therapist and doesn't apologize. So I'm like, well, this is going to happen. The second she comes in to give me water and walk me back to the front, I'm going to have to have the conversation. I'm just going to say, you know, hey, I sneezed and it might have gotten on you and I'm sorry. And sure, I'm thinking that's crazy to have that conversation, mm-hmm. but there's no way I'm not having that conversation. So she comes in, she gives me the water. <laughs> and I immediately, hey, just so you know, so I sneezed and and she's like, oh, oh, yeah, it's OK. It's whatever. And I'm like, no, but so and I know that I snot it like I saw oh, it. Oh, my God. And I know that maybe when you, you did the lavender. The okay. You should have just gone with the OK. <laughs> I know. She was like, OK, yo, it's fine. She was doing the like bail of like, we don't need to have this conversation. Even if I know you snotted on me, I'm fine to not have this conversation. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're having this conversation. I'm going to force you for that. Yeah. And I was like, so I just want you to know, I'm sorry, because like, I know that I, that happened. I want you to think I didn't know that it happened. I knew I snotted, and I know that it may have gotten on you. And that she is was very like, sweet of you. Oh, oh, it's all right. It's all right. I don't And that was it. We had an awkward conversation about the snot until we got to the front desk. But what has made me feel better is when I've signed up to have a massage with her again, she has not declined it. Well, I got in my head and thought, Oh, next time I say, oh, can I have so-and-so? They'll be like, no, you can't because you snotted on her. You freak. (laughs) And she complained to the manager. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I was worried about. But no, I've gone back to her twice since then. Actually, in hindsight, you apologizing, put it, put it, I hate to say it like this, but put it back on her so that if she did decline, she'd be the bad guy because you right. apologized. So, right. So yeah, maybe it was the way to do it. That's a that's a bold move, though. Your guilt yeah. is amazing. Yeah, because <laughs> I would have yeah. been like, my guilt I'm out. knows no bounds. Yeah, <laughs> knows no bounds. Knows. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, ready for some beefy bits? I'm ready for some beefy bits. And or also called What You May Have Missed. This is our news segment, which probably is also going to be the main crux of the podcast Yeah. moving forward from this point. Um, you tell us which title you'd like. My guess is it's going to be beefy bits. <laughs> All right, so this one came from Fox News. Uh, this was actually um, written and posted on February 10th of this year, 2020. Ancient Egyptian board game of death has been identified by scientists. Hmm. An ancient Egyptian board game of death was used to communicate with the dead about 3,500 years ago. It's called Senate. Um, It's one of the oldest board games known. It was played by most members of Egyptian society, although details of the game are scarce. There are definitely images of people playing it. I think, in fact, one of them has Nefertiti playing it in some tomb... Some tomb somewhere. <laughs> I don't no, know. Some tomb some in tomb. Egypt. Well, some tomb in Egypt, but I forgot to get the name of the tomb. But there's pictures of Senate being played by um, both uh, 
standard everyday people in ancient Egypt as well as um, the aristocracy. Um, so, uh, but for some reason, like the notes, like how to play, have not really been plentiful. Yeah. So there's only bits and pieces of how the game was actually played and what scholars have been able to kind of get the gist of off of imagery and stuff. Gotcha. Um, so that's why I say that the details of the game are scarce. Uh, some scholars claim that the game is played like this. This is a quote. Senate was played by two competitors, each with five pawns that were placed on a grid of 30 squares arranged in three rows of 10. I'm already out because that's too many numbers. I'm like, <laughs> I'm what? horrible at board what? games though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Then by roll of a dice, by roll of a dice, by roll of a die, dice? I don't know. Shouldn't I never know which one. Roll of a die? Roll of a and die. Roll dice? Sure. I but, don't know. Anyway, so I don't I can't tell by what they're saying if there's one or more than one die. Yeah. Um so let's just say I'll just read what they read. Then by roll of a dice, players would move their pawns with the goal being to have all five of your pawns reach the finish point at the lower right corner of the board. Hmm. Okay. Sounds like checkers meets go meets... Mousetrap. Mousetrap. I wish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got a, well, I've an se- yeah, I've ancient seen that Senate board up there. I that was looking up modern Senate boards. Doesn't help me per se, but I'm like, yeah. yep, that's what it looks like. It looks cool. Um, it was uh, Although it was a common game, eventually fra- the game began to take on a more spiritual tone with Egyptian texts beginning to describe the game as depicting the movement of the soul through the Egyptian realm of the dead. So uh-huh. the way that I read that is just to have it something associated with something in my brain, is that you know how um, you can use like standard playing cards as tarot cards in order to read the future, things of that nature, where it's this common game that's in the area that everybody plays, and then it starts to take on this double meaning of people were using it to communicate. Right. So kind of like that. Um, Again, another quote, it may be one of the first times that this aspect of the journey through the afterlife is visually rendered on the board, says Walter Christ or Christ, an archaeologist at Maastricht University who writes about the board in research published in the Journal of Egyptian Archaeology. And then Jelmer Erkins, an archaeologist. You're getting a lot of crazy names. University of California Davis believes the Rosicrucian board is a rare find since it seems to chronicle a late stage change in progress. So I think what what they were saying here is they've essentially found a board that uh, doubled up. Like it was made for the game, but also had elements possibly carved into it or whatever the case may be that also lent itself into this kind of... um, the more spiritual aspect. Spiritual aspect of mm-hmm. it. So um, just so that you have some... So this is not the first time that board games have ever been used, or games in general, have ever been used to kind of um, pull off some necromancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in more modern times, um, modern being 1890 modern versus ancient Egypt modern, Elijah Bond patented the planchette to go along with the spirit board Although the use of spirit boards had already been a popular tool amongst spiritualists. So um, spirit boards have been around for a while. They actually go as far back that I read spirit boards specific, specifically, I believe, um, in like China. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now um, ancient Egypt. Although they knew about ancient Egypt, they just never have found an actual board that seems to display both sides of the coin until now. 
Um, so yes, 1890, Elijah Bond patented the planchette to go along with spirit boards, even though people had been using them for a while. In 1901, William Fold, who was an employee of Bond's, actually started creating his own talking board slash um, spirit boards and called them Ouija or Ouija, which he claimed was an ancient Egyptian word meaning good luck, which I find ironic because many believe he just made that up. Right. Um, but then here we go and we find that there is an actual ancient Egyptian board game that was right. used in a very similar way. But let me ask you this. Before the planchette, mm-hmm. how did you operate a spirit board? You could use a cup. Okay. So, so there you, was still an like item a, that was like a divining rod of some Yeah, or kind. your fingers, you know, like right. you would do the, all the fingers would touch and then the fingers would move around the board, whoever right. it is that you were doing the spirit board with, or maybe mm-hmm. you could roll it solo. A lot of people actually had parlors dedicated to spirituality, spiritualist techniques Yeah, um, because it became like a really popular pastime. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that that was really cool and pretty, pretty you know, with the uptick in... Um, witchcraft and the occult and spirituality currently that I think we're seeing, you know, and how common it is, Yeah. which I personally like because I'm into that stuff. But, you know, it always seems to go through these um, phases of being really popular and then kind of dropping off. And it showcases itself in many different forms. Like right now, everybody's into witchcraft, you know, back in the 60s. Yeah. You could make the argument that some of the hippies and the spirituality aspect of that, like flower power and stuff, kind of was like more into the Wiccan area. Mm-hmm. And then you could maybe make the argument that before that it was the spiritualist. But it all seems to go in these cyclical routes. And every new time it hits, people think it's brand new. Right. And it's like, no, it's been going on forever. Most everything has been going on forever in one way, shape, or form. I feel like, and this is a tangent, but I feel like in the 90s there was just like a, a rush of cults. I felt like every other week it was about a cult. Yeah, I mean, like Waco and then Heaven's Gate. Oh, Weren't they pretty close together? What's like the the new, what's the cult? I also think that that's um, what the media decides to tell you. Right. Like for me in the 90s with the cult stuff, I feel like that was media driven. For what's currently happening with the witchcraft, spirituality, kind of lifestyle stuff that's really popular right now, I feel like that's society-driven. Right. You know? That's yeah. more culture-driven. Media realized that a, a big incident happened at this one cult, and so then all the cults started getting looked at because the media wanted to sell stories and papers and get you to watch the news yeah. so that they could put money in their pocket, which for the social aspect of kind of the uptick in spirituality currently, I feel like, yes, there's definitely money to be made there and people are making it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that people drove that desire first and then everybody realized, oh, this is a trend. Let's cash in versus some random company saying, hey, let's just suddenly make new Ouija boards. Yeah. You know, and then everybody was like, yeah, Ouija boards. Woohoo. You know, right. I think it was a little bit flipped. Um, I could have sworn I had more to this story, but maybe not. But yeah, so that's where it ends. Um, Let me ask you this: Do you get competitive when you're playing board games? I was thought like I thought you were gonna say, do you get competitive when you play Ouija board? And I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like super competitive. Well, kind of. You want to be Fuck the one to ghost. talk to the spirits. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, of course, I get competitive at everything. Yeah, it is the bane of my existence, but also what drives me forward and right. allows me to succeed. So that's the crux. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm competitive just, about everything. Really? Okay, yeah. I mean, I am too. I'm just surprised at how competitive I am with board games. I get like really, if a side of me comes out that I don't think people would expect. Yeah. And I get really mad if somebody doesn't take it seriously. Because you're playing a game, you got to play by the rules. I can't stand the like flippant, like when people are playing Mafia and they're like not trying. What? Mafia? Have you ever played Mafia? No. No, it's just like a group party game oh uh-uh. but you know it's like someone is is um is the mafia you're given an assignment of who you are some people are townspeople some people are mafia mm-hmm. one person's a detective one person's a doctor and you basically have to try to deduce who is mafia just by talking to them oh and okay. you say like i think it's like clue but without right, the board but without the board so you're just saying like i think jess is mafia and then the detective would say well jess what do you say to that you're like i'm not mafia there's no way first of all i if i was mafia i wouldn't have killed so and so because oh, so they're my to, friend got so it you try to do it and what i can't stand is when you play mafia and somebody's like i'm not mafia because um i didn't get the card that said mafia so that's why and I'm like, no, you're supposed to be like role playing. Yeah, also, dipshit. okay, no, that I agree with. Well, that's just being a poor sport. I know, but that's I, not even, compa- that's just being somebody that's like too cool for school, totally. ruining your party. And, and that's like, what I mean. Get the fuck out of my house. If you're playing a game, show up yeah. and care. Or yeah. don't play. Or don't play. Yeah, go sit in the corner. Sit in the corner and while enjoy your, else plays mafia. Yeah, and enjoy your own company, which is obviously something you like to do. But I was playing Timeline the other night, which is. This really simple card game where you just have, uh, like, for instance, there's one that's just inventions. Mm -hmm. And it's all these cards, and it'll say, like, the invention of the sandwich, the invention of the microscope, the invention of the cannon. That's cool. And you have to try to put them in order. Uh Uh-huh. You're guessing at the timeline. Right. And then you flip them over, and it'll say 1817, 1745, and you can see how wrong you were. Mm -hmm. And I was playing it with friends and, like, their parents who are these sweet, sweet, you know, Who should have known when the people. sandwich was invented. Totally. Yeah. And I was getting so competitive because their parents are, like, <laughs> so smart and they're yeah. so good. And I was, like, oof, just getting hard on myself about Yeah, but I like up. that kind of competitive yeah. because that that is a good interaction. Like, totally. Yeah. It's healthy. And mm-hmm. I was so I was stoked when I got something right that I didn't really know. And, by the way, the saxophone was invented way earlier than you think. Oh, well, thanks for that. That's my little cool. trivia. When do you think the saxophone was invented? I w- <laughs> the saxophone, um, I guess probably uh, uh, 1800s. Yeah. Oh, good. Sweet. But Go me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find the actual date because I just know it was a lot earlier than we thought. I'm going to say 1860-something. Okay. Well, you're pretty close. Never mind. Okay. 1846. Hell yeah, Jess. Not too shabby considering I pulled that one totally out of my ass. (laughs) Yeah. Not an entire saxophone, just the date. Right. Um, Yeah, I get super competitive. Uh, I have had to learn to calm that down due to having a child that is also super competitive and also you know listen my my self-esteem is pretty much locked in stone at this point right besides a few little peaks and valleys my kids is constantly growing and morphing so i have to support that as much as possible but i will say every once in a while i do totally dunk on my child sure (laughs) just to remind him who's boss i think that's healthy I think so, too. Disappointment. You also have to learn about disappointment. All right. Next uh, story actually was told to us via at Sci-Fi Barfly. Um, I would say Bizarro. 
but maybe untolder. Unto- I don't know. I'll let untolder, I'll let yeah. whoever you know, untoldian, folks listen, untoldian, <laughs> whoever's listening. We gotta organically find a new name. Yeah. Or you keep Bizarros. I don't care. Right. Um. Anyway, at sci fi barfly uh, gave us the heads up on this. It was from CBS News, uh, February 10th of 2020. A lot of these were from the 10th, which was yesterday, actually. Uh, researchers discover a new type of dinosaur and call it the Reaper of Death. That's awesome. It's super awesome. Cousin of the T-Rex, a newly discovered dinosaur that scientists have named. Ha <laughs> This is in Latin, so I uh, pardon me. Thanatotherestes? Thanatotherestes? Oh, fuck. I think that was pretty much it. Thanatotherosicities. Degrutorum. It's, it's hard. Demgrudy boy. Demgrudy boy from Thanos. Thanos Grudy boy. Thanos Grudy boy. Is the first new Tyrannosaurus species discovered in Canada in the last 50 years. At roughly 79.5 million years old, it is also the oldest of the five species found in Canada. It's believed to be an apex predator. No shit. And thus was given its namesake... Oh, fuck. Thanatotherestes, Thanatotherestes, which is derived from <laughs> Thanatos, which means Greek god of death. Got that one. And Therestes, I'm guessing, which means ones, one who reaps or harvests. That I dig. Yeah. Species name Degrutorum is named for paleontology enthusiast and farmer John DeGroot, who found the remains of the dinosaur while on a hike near Hayes, Alberta. The one thing that sticks out to me about this news report, besides the awesome name that is incredibly difficult to pronounce, yeah. is I didn't even know there were different Tyrannosaurus species. I didn't either. I thought it was T-Rex, and that was it. Well, what are the other ones? If, I don't know. They're acting like, yeah, that there's many cousins and relatives to the Tyrannosaurus. Which I didn't know that. makes complete sense. For sure. Now that I see it in a report, but I had no idea that that was even the case. Me it just neither. never occurred to me because all you ever see is T-Rex. And I guess I don't understand uh, dinosaurs well enough to know, yeah, are there others that are related? Like, are there multiple kinds of, are there multiple dinosaurs in the Stegosaurus family? I have no idea. Are velociraptors yeah, related so. to the Tyrannosaurus? I don't know. I don't know. Or different types of, I mean... I, Hey, listen, there's tons of different species of birds, but they're birds. Yeah. I assume there's tons of different species of each one of these mega lizards. Yeah. But can you think of a cooler job than naming dinosaurs? I mean, yes, I can. You can? I mean, I wouldn't want to do it. I would love to just be sitting around in a think tank and like, I don't know, what are we going to call this guy? Yeah. And getting to come up with, like, I mean, granted, they took the fucking long road around. Also, who gets assigned that job? Like, how do you grow up and you're like, I want to be a dinosaur namer? I know. Like, where do you go to school for that? Well, I, miss, I guess Latin class, but... Yeah, and I love that John DeGroot... It's just funny to me that then they turn it into DeGrootorum, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> like, they don't just call it, like, Thanotoristes DeGroot. They still try to make the reference to DeGroot fancy. Fancy. I mean. Who, who knows? Maybe DeGroot Torum. Maybe the Torum stands for. Um, like of DeGroot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. In the I lineage of DeGroot. Reaper of death is fucking Reaper tight. of death is tight. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right. Next one, which is, I think, the one I was trying to lean into as our main story topic, which was why I cut the uh, ancient Egyptian board game of death a little bit short is that uh, this is from a website which probably gave me lots of viruses. 
sure. when I opened it up. But Harrods, I've never heard of it before. I was just randomly searching for stuff and came across this. But it seems like the story is pretty legit. Um, dozens of cursed tablets found at the bottom of a well in Athens. So 30 lead tablets engraved with curses have been discovered at the bottom of a 2,500-year-old well in ancient Athens. Um, I can I do a better job at pronouncing the Greek names because I played a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Okay. <laughs> so I feel like I'm good on this. Uh, found in the area of Keramikos, ancient Athens' main site for burials, the tablets invoke various gods of the underworld to cause harm to others. Oh, my gosh. Now, these look like to, they're ritual texts due to their small size and the fact that they were written on metal. So basically, you would go to somebody whose job it was to carve these and they would do it in a certain way and they would have like i guess when you read when you read the article it boils it down to that they're small texts with carving onto them the pa- the tablets were made out of metal and they have a nail driven into it um so that they, they look like they're ritual texts uh the person asking for the curse to be done is never named in the texts only the names of the intended targets are actually carved on them oh wow uh, most cursed tablets up to this point have been found mainly within burial tombs uh, of people who either died in an untimely manner, so they were considered good messengers to carry these curses and spells into the lands of the dead. Mm-hmm. So this had been going on for a while, and so they've been trying to figure out, okay, well, what caused the shift from all of these curses ending up in improper burial sites versus ending at the bottom of the swell? This is like an ancient burn book from Mean Girls. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's what curses are, right? Yeah. So uh, folks start. Uh, so that's the shift. Folks started putting their spells into wells. <laughs> uh, oh, we should have called the podcast the the spell well. Spell well. Um, so folks shifted over from putting their curses in proper burial sites into wells because of Demetrios of Phaleron, who ruled Athens from 317 to 307 BCE. Don't know how that math works out, huh. but. And his legislation legislation to govern management of the tombs. So the black arts were already looked down upon, but combined with the new legislation to make sure that these tombs were up to snuff, uh, it made it too difficult to access the tombs in order to place the curses in them. And so the next best thing was to toss curses into deep wells, thus bringing them closer to the underworld and to the spirits underground that could carry the spells forth. In particular, the well where these tablets were found was considered the well of water nymphs, and it was believed that these nymphs protected the wells uh, were also direct links to the underworld, and so throwing the curse into such a blessed and conveniently underworldly accessible well would activate the tablet. And so then to double down on the curse's effectiveness, the curse had a better chance of being activated if carried underground by an unquiet spirit, as I mentioned earlier, someone who had died violently or before their time, such as soldiers, children, and accident and murder victims. And this well at Karamikos was located on the outskirts of the burial grounds where the children's necropolis that's what we should have called this fucking oh, podcast. My gosh. Children's Necropolis. Children's Necropolis. That's a dope ass title. I mean, sad as fuck, but yeah. wow, what a cool what yeah. a cool title. So the well uh, was located on the outskirts of the burial ground where the children's necropolis and the communal grave for fallen soldiers were located. But let me ask you this. So you throw uh, a tablet down there mm-hmm. that you've etched a 
name into a curse that you that then you don't get to choose what spirit takes that to the underworld. It's just kind of a crapshoot. Yeah. But it's just that this well is located near many spirits that would be unquiet. Yeah. So the thought process to that is because of the untimely death, it takes the spirit longer to either want to leave or realize that it's dead. So it's kind of hanging around. Looking for something to do. Yeah. Looking for an errand to run. Wondering what the fuck just happened. And so that's why, yeah, looking for it. I took me a minute. Yes. Looking for an errand to run. It's like a task rabbit. It's an underworldly task rabbit. It's for the underworld. Yes. Can you please deliver this? Um so, yeah, they would toss these, they would toss, you know, I think maybe when they were putting it in the burial sites proper, mm-hmm. they probably chose right. whoever they wanted to. Although I feel like whatever, as long as you're headed down there, all we're all going to the same place. Sure. Assumed, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, at least in, with the exception of heroes, at least in Greek mythology, you were all going to the same place, roughly. Um, so, Yeah. So just take this across. The, yeah. the thing, if I'm remembering this correctly, and I used to be very well versed in Greek mythology, although it's been a long time since I've um, refreshed my memory. Once you cross the river Styx, you essentially become a shadow of yourself and you forget about the life you left your, behind. Yeah, your time on Earth. So if you're carrying this tablet with this curse on it, meant to deliver it to some sort of whatever in the underworld yeah like i'm not gonna assume that hades hades isn't looking at this he's busy he's doing he's he's god of the underworld so he's not going to be bothering with this petty shit right so you're going for like lower level demons i guess or spirits yeah if you're once you cross the river sticks how do you how do you remember where to deliver this thing (laughs) right totally (laughs) how does this work but anyway i don't know maybe it just needs to go into the like into the area yeah yeah, I don't know. And then who is the one that carries out the curse? Is it just that it gets there and then well, the right. curse is activated and the curse has its own power and so does its own thing? Or does a spirit find the curse and think, you know what? I got nothing else to do this Wednesday. Let's take care of this. Well, right. And so if you curse someone uh, and there's a spirit that's assigned to carry that curse to the other side, well, yeah, who's assigned to carry out that curse on earth yeah i don't know you're cursing someone that is i'm assuming living and walking around currently so then they'd have to have an active agent above ground Mm -hmm. i mean even in just a spiritual sense i think we just found out your new screenplay i yeah i seriously yeah that's great the the highways and byways of the underworld and yeah man you're just a bored spirit got nothing to do it's wednesday you're like fuck you stumble upon this curse tablet you follow yeah. it through, you start cursing this person, maybe you end up falling in love with them or something instead, sure. and then you've got this whole weird... Then you could bring it all the way back around to Greek mythology again by right. having this whole thing where it's kind of like, oh, oh, what was the name of Orpheus? Yeah. Where he goes and tries to find his wife and bring her back from the land of the dead. Right. So, like, you you know, you get this sucked back into around. the underworld... And the person you were haunting is like, oh, I really miss my ghost and goes and tries to bring you back from the dead so you both can live happily ever after. Yeah. Or I Fuck, fall man. in love or as a spirit. I fall in love with someone who's alive and I want them to come with me to the land of the dead. Oh, shit. And it's now it's a horror movie. And it's like reverse. But it's like reverse horror movie where yeah. it's like, oh, you feel bad for the spirit, but this is fucked up. It's like reverse Coco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> um, and it's called reverse Coco. Reverse Coco. Um. 
the bidding starts at. I was gonna say you can just reverse grand. Coco, the title of Coco, but then it's still just Coco. <laughs> no, it'd be Ocock. Ocock. Yeah. Yeah, that's that won't work. No one's buying that script. <laughs> Nobody's buying that script. Hear me out. It's called Ocock. Hey, listen. Get if out. somebody buys Babadook, why yeah, not Ocock? That's true. You know, if someone buys Little Willie, I guess you know yeah. anything goes. Um, okay, so reasons for cursing someone, they're pretty petty, yeah. which is actually right in line with curses. Uh, to win a lawsuit for business purposes, uh, to win athletic contests, that's the one that really uh, I got a big chuckle at. Yeah. Because what the fuck? Like, why would you be so nasty as yeah. to curse somebody just so you could cross the finish line first? For sure. Like, I would, I get business purposes uh, because of love and also because of hate. That's a broad. That's broad. Yeah. If you were, you don't have to get into specifics, but just think mm-hmm. in your head. Mm-hmm. If I mean, you I'll, were, I'm probably okay to share it. So uh, Okay. But you if you were to curse someone uh-huh. using this method of this ancient tablet thrown down a well guarded by a water nymph. Yeah, I'm definitely going to um, try this. Who, the zoo has a well. <laughs> let's just go and pray over the zoo and then start throwing shit down there. Yeah, or go to the Disney's wishing well. Yeah. <laughs> just do it there. Yeah. It, what would be? You don't have to say who, but what would be the purpose behind the curse? You know, what oh. would be? What category would it fall into? You're not looking for athletic contests. No, that's out for me. Love, I actually hate have nobody business. that I'm mad at. Oh, I know this is a shocker. There's nobody currently that I that is on my shit list, and there hasn't been for a while. God, does it make me a bad person that I can think of like sixty no. names immediately? No. I don't yeah there's nobody there's nobody that I'm holding I mean there's situations that maybe if you can curse a situation yeah but there's not any specific individuals that I have that I I feel the need to take a shit on yeah I would I would but I would like it to be a temporary curse I don't want to like fuck someone for life and it would probably fall under business purposes Te- okay. Technically, it would fall under business because it's not as strong as guess. <laughs> it's not as strong as hate. Uh, it's not as strong as hate, and it's related to business, um, but it's more emotional than a simple business matter. I would say, for me, my I've dabbled in witchcraft. Yeah, and I would say that I have found that curses always end up biting you in the ass. Well, yeah, isn't that the whole thing? It's the monkey paw of it all. Yeah, it's kind of monkey paw-ish. Yeah. Where unless, you re- unless you're unless you really, re- unless it's something that's really, really, like really, really so bad that you don't mind taking the hit as well, then yeah. it's probably not worth cursing. The better option, which I find works more often for me, because sometimes the curses don't even happen, and then you're just frustrated and fucked. Yeah. So um, that's the and that's the good part of it, because, you know, if the curse doesn't work, then the curse is the curse that hit you is the fact that you're frustrated and upset even probably more than if you had left it alone. Totally. Because now you're like, where's my results? Um, The worst part of it is if you do do something, (laughs) do do, um, usually it ends up you end up having a version of that hit yourself as well right when you least expect it that's how i've always had it happen to me yeah um so what i've actually come to discover is rather than cursing the person or whatever it is that i'm trying to curse i do the opposite and i try to do something that's more positive to me for me so as right. in the sense that let's say business as an example this isn't really what's going on in my life just business as an example 
let's say somebody's um, getting a job that I really want and I'm really, really fucking pissed about it. Yeah. And uh, rather than curse that person to either fail or lose the job or whatever the case may be, um, I will instead do something that um, brings me something better. Like, like, like instead of it being about them, it becomes about me. So I'll do like a spell or something or whatever it is. Maybe yeah. put myself in the right mind space, whatever it is that you practice to to bring me better fortune. Sure. So that way the focus is on please bring me better fortune or better luck or let me or, or maybe I have another job or an audition coming in in the near future. Let me fucking nail that one. Right. Versus take it away from this person. Totally. So that's yeah, my usually curse, how it works for I, me. And then you get that thing, you know, let's say it works out and you get that thing. Yeah. However you get it, whether you believe in the stuff or not. But let's say it, it, it let's say you do believe in it. You get the thing. It works out. And and you stop caring about what the other person got because now you've shifted focus and right. it's a positive focus on this thing that is better for you. Right. It's kind of that mentality, I guess, of assuming um, it wasn't meant to be. Everybody's, you know, it wasn't meant to be. So don't yeah. dwell on it. And something else that is meant to be will come your way. I think that's a positive note to end the first episode on. Yeah, you like that it's one? It's a beautiful sentiment, yeah, oh, and one I need to thanks. let sink in. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knew? Lessons for the day. Definitely yeah. wasn't something I was uh, thinking I would bring to the table, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. All right, well, I guess that's it for the first episode of The Untold Hour. Um, we uh, As of this moment, and we are pre-recording these because Bowser and I have some stuff coming up where we're not going to be totally available to make this happen on the same day. How am I saying this? Yeah, we, we need to bank a few episodes yes. to make sure we get ahead of schedule because the way our schedules are currently, we, we can't commit to a, a weekly recording that's timed to go out that week. Yeah. So, but though I think we'll catch up and then we'll get into a rhythm. But right now, these are... Pre-recorded. Pre-recorded banked episodes. So by the time this airs, I don't know if we will have an email set up. I do want to do listener stories For again. Sure. I've always that was always one of my favorite aspects of our previous podcast. So For we're not sure. getting rid of it. It's just that we don't have an email set up yet. And um, things are not prepped for that as of this particular moment. But who knows? Maybe they are. Maybe maybe we did spend the time to do it. In which case, um, yeah. as soon as we record again, uh, which probably won't be until mid to late March uh, to be completely caught up, um, hang on to those listener stories. But yeah. keep them in the back of your mind because we absolutely will be starting that sooner rather than later because I definitely want to do those again. Without a doubt. Yeah. Well, all right. I don't have an outro. I don't know. I guess, yeah, and I don't have an NPR outro. Oh, oh gosh. God. We'll have to, I'll, I'll hit one. Think we'll of something. Think of something fast. Well, I'll, I'll, we can just do a simple one right now. It won't be very clever, but uh, we can just say, this has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and thank you for joining us on The Untold Hour. Oh, I like that one. Bye. Bye. Stop it. A podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.